Hello and welcome to Luxury Menswear, the podcast by JL Rocha Collections. My name is Jose Noel Rocha, and as always, I will be your guide through this journey of luxury leather goods, men's style, and Mexican history. Today is February, and we are going to be talking about the Year of the Dragon, which we are celebrating with a special red envelope design for 2024 that, if you were a part of our newsletter, you would have already seen. If you aren't, no worries, you can still join, and you can see the new red envelope design on the blog post that covers a lot of the topics that we will be discussing today. Today we'll be talking about the Chinese influence on Mexican culture. But before we do that, let's get a little bit of a history on the Lunar New Year. Also known as the Spring Festival or Chinese New Year, this is the most important holiday in China and in Chinese communities around the world. But it's not only celebrated in China. Vietnam, Korea, Malaysia, Singapore, and you guessed it, Mexico, also practice the Lunar New Year holiday. The Lunar New Year starts on the new moon near the midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, sometime between January 21st and February 20th. This year it falls on February 10th. But what does that holiday have to do with Mexico? Well, few may actually know that there's a large population of Chinese Mexican people that make the Lunar New Year a celebrated day in a few areas in Mexico, particularly in Mexicali and Mexico City. The Lunar New Year is a multi-day celebration, wherein one staple is the gifting of bright red envelopes full of money. These envelopes, known as Hongbao or Lai Si, are traditionally given to unmarried adults and children that symbolize good wishes and luck for the new year ahead. So how did the Lunar New Year and how did Chinese people find themselves in Mexico? Well. Robert Chow Romero's book, The Chinese in Mexico, provides us with an estimation that roughly 60,000 Chinese people entered Mexico during the late 19th and early 20th centuries, constituting the second largest foreign ethnic community at the time. And the book provides a social history of Chinese immigration and settlement in Mexico within the context of the global Chinese diaspora within the era. Romero argues that the Chinese immigrants turned to Mexico as a new land of economic opportunity after the passage of the U.S. Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. As a consequence of this legislation, Romero claims Chinese immigrants journeyed to Mexico in search of employment opportunities within Mexico's developing economy. And this actually created something called the Chinese Transnational Commercial Orbit a trade network encompassing China, Latin America, Canada, and the Caribbean that was shaped largely and traveled by entrepreneurial Chinese people. Yet the Chinese-Mexican experience was not exclusively a positive thing. A thriving economic environment for Chinese-Mexican people also drove resentment within the Mexican nationals. For example, in a paper published by California State University San Bernardino's Rocio Gomez, outlines show how by the early 1900s, anti-Chinese sentiment led to horrific acts of violence, including the Torreón Massacre on May 13, 1911, and the 1922 passing of Law 31 in Sonora, which prohibited the marriage between Mexican women and individuals of the Chinese race. By the summer of 1931, many Mexican Chinese families were left with no choice but to leave, with some emigrating to different parts of Mexico and most returning back to China with their families. 
It's estimated that some 500 Chinese families from Mexico repatriated back to China at this time, and most of them landed in Macau, a city on the southern coast of China that was a Portuguese territory with Catholic foundations and Iberian influences. And this made this possible for Mexican women and their children to still get a sense of belonging. Many languages such as Portuguese, Cantonese, and Spanish were spoken there as a result, and the Chinese-Mexican children grew up learning several languages. The exposure to their cultural Iberian roots enabled many Chinese-Mexican people to channel strong feelings about their pride as Mexicans, which in turn made them the driving force in the efforts to repatriate back to Mexico. As such, an organization known as the Lions Club took on the task of initiating a national campaign for repatriation, and by 1960, they would have successfully helped influence the repatriation of Chinese-Mexican families back to Mexico. Now, this effort was challenging, and the history of this still continues to grapple with hardship, but today there is still some positive recognition of the Chinese-Mexican culture, including the Lunar New Year celebrations. And there's also a Chinese Cultural Week that takes place in Mexico City each year. Areas in Mexico thriving with Chinese are, as mentioned, Mexicali and Mexico City, two places that you can visit for grand celebrations. In Mexicali specifically, there is an entire festival with a procession that leads across town, wherein you can take part in many festivities, food, and pieces of Chinese-Mexican culture. And what other influences of Chinese people do we have in Mexican culture? Well, in a book titled Chinese Porcelain in Colonial Mexico, the author investigates the integration of Chinese porcelain into the religious, artistic, and domestic life of Mexican society, particularly in places like Acapulco, Mexico City, and Puebla. The presence of porcelain is analyzed in multiple locations, from churches to markets and from sitting rooms to kitchens. One unique example is the repurposing of Asian goods, such as Chinese teacups, employed as drinking vessels for hot chocolate and referred to as jicaras. The author goes on to illustrate how potters in Puebla created a style of their own inspired by the Chinese, creating what is now known as Talavera Poblana by blending different aesthetic influences. For example, they would replace the Chinese phoenix with the native Mesoamerican Quetzal. Aesthetics aside, Chinese influence can also be found in one of the most important aspects of Mexican culture, the culinary palate. In a video by CGNT America, we can see the influence of Chinese culture within a signature Mexican drink, café lechero, wherein steaming milk is poured into a tall glass with strong coffee. This originated in Chinese cafes brought by Chinese immigrants in early Mexico. This drink also comes with pastries that differ from traditional Mexican pastries due to their use of pig fat as opposed to standard butter or lard. This gives the bread a denser consistency, and they're actually called panes chinos in Mexico. In fact, one of my favorite flavors actually comes from Chinese culture. There is a delicious sauce, or spice if you may, called chamoy, and it's made from dried fruit, chili, and limes. This actually originated in China, and it stems from the name champui mui, that means dried plum. And today, it's ubiquitous with Mexican candy. You can find it 
about anywhere, and it is delicious. It was originally brought to Mexico as a candy utilized by Chinese sailors to avoid seasickness, wherein a plum was infused with sweet and salty spices. And over time in Mexico, they added chili, and they made it what became now known as chamoy. But enough about food. There's actually also apparel that's influenced by Chinese Mexican culture, and it's a staple of Mexican culture today. Through a riveting tale of the legend behind the China Poblana, we hear of a princess in northern India named Mira. Kidnapped by Portuguese pirates in the 1600s, Mira was sold into slavery at Spain's trading outpost in Manila, and she was sold to the Viceroy of Mexico to work as a personal servant in his palace in Mexico City. But in a twist of fate, the person that was selling her met a wealthy man who was willing to top the Viceroy's offer, and they cut a deal. So Mira and her sari dresses went to Puebla some 200 miles away. Her new owners, Miguel de Sosa and his wife Margarita, were childless, and they treated her like a daughter until de Sosa died in 1624. In his will, he freed her, and most accounts of her life agreed that she was revered by the local people in Puebla, and that she was buried in the town's still-standing church of La Compañía de Jesús. The house where she lived has even become an upscale boutique hotel called Casona de la China Poblana. Mira's saris eventually morphed into what would become a dress style consisting of a short-sleeved white blouse with a vibrant silky embroidery, a billowing skirt decorated with sequins and beads, a white lace-trimmed slip that dropped below the skirt's hemline, and a shawl woven from blue and white thread. By the end of the 17th century, it had become the traditional dress of Mexico, and it still is. You can see it at many folkloric dances and festivals, and few may actually know that the dress is inspired by Chinese culture. So what have we learned? We've learned that Mexico has a vast and vibrant history that's worth investigating, that so many of the things that come into our lives can be the result of unique circumstances and the many who came before us and paved the way. We've unearthed that there's a Mexican culture that spans generations. It showcases suffering, resilience, creativity, passion, and family in ways that we can scarcely cover within the confines of this podcast. So I do recommend checking out more books on the subject and doing your own research because we strive to highlight our own family history in Leon, Guanajuato, but we also believe in highlighting the unique intricacies of the vast tapestry that encapsulates our entire culture. This study opened my eyes to the diverse background and the history of many different aspects of Mexican life and the people who live there. But in the words of Alfonso Chu, one of the original descendants of Mexican immigrants and the owner of one of the still standing Chinese Mexican cafes in Mexico City, he said, when you sit at the table with your family, you are savoring history enjoying the same smells that Chinese and Aztec emperors once smelled. 
And it's this sentiment of honoring family traditions and diverse cultures that influenced our red envelope design. We infused it with our heritage of Mexican and Spanish immigration, along with craftsmanship in León by including our heraldic lion crest with the Aztec weaving symbol for the star and the Aztec dragon, Quetzalcoatl. The design represents our unique Mexican heritage while serving as an homage to the Chinese Mexican culture. So as I wish you a year of prosperity and good luck for 2024, head over to our website to check it out. And even if you don't, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And I hope that you enjoyed this investigation as much as I did. Let us know what else you'd like us to cover and what kind of topics you'd like to hear about by visiting our website or dropping us a comment on social media. I would love to hear what your interests are so I can share more with you. Thank you for everything and I wish you many handmade moments. Hasta luego.